Welcome to the Startup Mindset Podcast, your source for legal and mindset tips for early-stage startups. I'm your host, Kristina Subotina. For the past seven-plus years, I have been representing startups and venture funds throughout their life cycle, from formation, fundraising, day-to-day business operations and exits. I've worked at two venture-backed startups and Cooley, a top big law firm famous for venture and tech work. I've condensed my legal experience and knowledge in legal tips for startups you will learn here. Why choose a Delaware C Corporation for your startup? When it comes to registering your startup, we need to discuss several options, incorporating in Delaware versus your state of residence, and choosing between an LLC and a C Corp. Let's dive in. Before we dive in, let's clarify a topic that often confuses many people I speak with. The difference between a small business and a startup. These are two different things, and understanding this distinction is critical as it influences their source of capital available to you as a founder, the preferred method of business registration, and the most suitable state and type of entity for your business. The primary difference between a startup and a small business is growth potential. Startups typically aim for rapid growth and scalability, often pursuing innovative ideas or technologies that can disrupt existing market or create new ones. In contrast, small businesses usually focus on steady incremental revenue growth within an established market, often serving a local or regional customer base. Another difference is the exit strategy. Startup founders often have the ultimate goal of scaling their business rapidly and then exiting through an acquisition or initial public offering called IPO, which can result in substantial financial rewards. Small business owners, however, usually focus on building a sustainable long-term business that provides a stable income. To determine if you are a startup, consider these two questions. First, can this business potentially potentially become a unicorn, meaning a company valued at uh, $1 billion or more? Second question to ask yourself is, is there a viable path to generate around $100 million in annual recurring revenue, ARR, within five years? If the answer to either question is no, you likely operate in a small business. Understanding your business classification is crucial. For example, if you know you're a small business, you will typically utilize different sources of capital, such as bank loans and crowdfunding, instead of venture investments available for startups. You might also find it advantageous to operate your business as an LLC if you're a small business, because it's not subject to double taxation. You might also consider registering your startup in the state of your residence, although Delaware, quite honestly, is still an excellent choice due to its business-friendly laws. Additionally, small businesses can often use do-it-yourself incorporation services like Stripe, Atlas, or Clerky for registrations, while startups generally work with a lawyer to save on costs in the long run. Delaware versus your state of residence. Let's begin by discussing the state in which to register your startup. It's a well-known fact that a significant number of both startups and established corporations opt to incorporate in Delaware. 
So you might ask why Delaware and where is it anyway? Delaware is a small East Coast state strategically located between New York and New Jersey. It is renowned for its well-established corporate governance laws, which provide clear rules for compliance and best practices. These laws are designed to assist business owners in managing and growing their companies. Delaware is home to numerous large corporations and its legal system has extensive experience in handling business matters. Delaware has its own chancery court that exclusively hears corporate law cases, unlike other states. Investors and their legal counsel are familiar with Delaware laws and typically expect startups to incorporate there. And you might ask, Christina, if I start my company in Delaware, do I need to move there? And the answer is no, you don't have to move there, but you need to engage a Delaware registered agent, which typically costs around $50 per year. Not that bad. Additionally, you might need to register your Delaware corporation as a foreign corporation in the state where you reside. For example, I reside in California, and if I register my corporation in Delaware, I will need to register my Delaware corporation as a foreign corporation doing business in California. It's free, and uh, I recommend paying for a California registered agent as well, although I might use my own personal address, but I don't want to make uh, my address publicly available. It's also important to note that you will be required to file annual reports and pay franchise taxes in both states, as in my example, both in Delaware and California. Now let's talk about the type of entity for your startup. This question generally comes down to a question whether I should incorporate my startup as an LLC or a C-corporation. And founders frequently ask me, Christina, why not an LLC? Doesn't it have fewer formalities and no double taxation? While it is true that an LLC has fewer formalities and avoids double taxation, one of the most significant advantages of using a C-corporation is the favorable tax treatment it offers to both you and your investors particularly in relation to qualified small business stock, uh, also known as QSBS. So founders usually ask me what is QSBS and whether why they should care about QSBS. So QSBS is a special stock that meets the requirements of section 1202 of the Internal Revenue Code. If you acquired the QSBS after September 27, 2010, you might qualify for a 100% exclusion of the gain from the sale of your stock. It's important to note that the 100% gain exclusion applies to federal tax only. Some states follow federal tax treatment of QSBS and allow for a gain exclusion, while other states, such as California, do not permit an exclusion for gain on the sale of QSBS. Nonetheless, a 100% gain exclusion from federal tax is still a great benefit, both founders and investors care about. The amount of the exclusion is limited to the greater of $10 million or 10 times the holder's adjusted tax basis, up to a maximum of $500 million. So what is the adjusted tax basis? Sounds fancy. So in, uh, the adjusted tax basis in a stock refers to the original cost of the stock, plus or minus any adjustments made for events such as stock splits, dividends, or additional purchases of the same stock. 
Let's take an example. As a founder, you likely, and I really hope so, purchase stock for a nominal price near zero. If after five years you sold your founder stock for $10 million and qualified for the QSBS, you wouldn't pay any federal capital gains tax. If you sold your stock for, let's say, $20 million, you will pay the capital gains tax only on $10 million as opposed to $20 million. The next question you might ask as a founder whether the maximum benefit is $10 million, as I just explained. It can be possible actually to increase this maximum amount by gifting shares to other taxpayers, each of whom has their own $10 million limit. Let's take an example. Let's say a founder owns $30 million worth of QSBS, qualified small business stock, and wants to sell it. If they were to sell all of the shares, they would only be able to exclude 10 million from their capital gains. However, if the founder were to give 20 million shares, 20 million worth of QSBS to, to other taxpayers, each of whom would have their own 10 million limit for QSBS exclusion. If both recipients hold the shares for the required time, five years, and meet all of the eligibility requirements we will discuss later, they could potentially exclude up to $10 million each from their capital gains, resulting in a total effective exclusion of $30 million. This strategy can effectively increase the maximum amount of QSBS exclusion. However, it's really important to consult with a tax professional before making any decisions regarding QSBS or gifting shares. All of it sounds amazing, right? And you might ask me, Christina, where do I sign up? How do I qualify for this amazing thing called QSBS? So the requirements are somewhat complicated, but most early stage uh, tech startups meet them. There are five requirements. First is to be a US C corporation. So the company issuing the QSBS must be a C corporation, not an S corp, not an LLC, not a partnership. The second requirement is called a regional issue which means that stock must be purchased directly from the corporation. Stock purchased in secondary sales does not qualify for this benefit. As we learned earlier, it is possible to increase the maximum exclusion amount by gifting shares to other taxpayers, each of whom has their own 10 million limit. So even in that case, the original issue requirement is still met since the gifted shares were originally issued by the corporation to the founder who later gifted those shares to other people. But it's important to note that the recipients of the gifted shares must hold them for five years and meet all other eligibility requirements to qualify for QSBS exclusion. Third requirement is gross assets um, shall not exceed $50 million. The company must have not more than $50 million in gross assets before and immediately after the issuance of the QSBS. This amount includes cash invested at the time of the QSBS issuance. Fourth requirement is active business, which means that at least 80% of the company issuing the QSBS must be involved in the active con conduct of qualified trade or business. Qualified trade or, or business sounds fancy, but essentially it means any business other than professional services um, 
any business other than professional services will meet this definition. And professional services include law, accounting, I unfortunately, my law firm can't qualify for this, insurance, consulting, or any other business driven by the skills of the professionals involved. Fifth requirement is five-year holding period. The holder must have held the QSBS for more than five years at the time of the sale. And founders frequently ask me what can go wrong with the QSBS qualification if we met all of these five requirements, are we good? So assuming the five requirements above are met, the company itself must comply with various rules to ensure its shareholders qualify for uh, the QSBS treatment. A common pitfall occurs when a corporation redeems its shares close to the time it issues stock, potentially disqualifying such stock from the QSBS treatment. It's essential to consult with your legal and tax advisors if the company is going to redeem any shares. Another question founders frequently ask, Christina, if I already registered my startup as an LLC, am I out of luck? What can I do to take advantage of the QSBS? So you're not out of luck. Uh, To qualify for the QSBS, your startup would need to convert from an LLC to a C-corporation. As long as the assets of the LLC are valued at $50 million or less at the time of conversion, the gain exclusion is determined based on 10 times the fair market value of the assets of the LLC at that time. This is due to a rule that treats the basis of property as equal to its fair market value when it's contributed to the C-corporation. The same rule applies if the startup um, were formed as a C-corp, but the founders contributed valuable intellectual property or other assets to the C-corporation at the time of formation. Let's take an example. If the startup right now is worth $49.9 million at the time of conversion, the maximum QSBS gain exclusion across all founders is $499 million compared to the standard $10 million limit. However, note that the capital gains tax would apply to the first $49.9 million in proceeds before the QSBS exclusion kicks in. So now you might ask, oh my God, Christina, isn't it best to start as an LLC and before hitting the 50 million in gross assets convert to a C-Corp? Unfortunately, the answer is no. Generally, this strategy isn't recommended unless your startup won't need to raise capital from venture investors for a while, because guess what? Venture funds will push you to convert into a C-corporation. Or another exception, if you are a serial, sophisticated founder who can time the C-corporation conversion to coincide with the maximum QSBS benefit. And even then, many things might go wrong. And here are some examples. So first, when your startup isn't a home run. So a home run in in the venture world is typically considered to be a 10x return on investment or greater. And the example uh, that we just used, the first $49.9 million of gain is subject to capital gains tax. So if the company hits a single or double rather than home run, this approach could result in higher tax on the founders upon exit than would be paid if the company were originally formed as a C-corporation and all all shares qualified for um, QSBS treatment. Second example is when you have to sell your shares before the five-year holding period. So waiting to convert to a C-corp will delay the start of the five-year holding period. Uh, 
So if you wait too long to convert and sell your stock in a taxable transaction before the five-year holding period expires, you could lose the QSBS benefit entirely. While there are a few potential exceptions regarding the tacking of holding periods and rolling over in a tax-free exchanges, this fall outside of this uh, episode and to learn more, it's best to consult with a tax professional. It's a more sophisticated topic. Another example when something can go wrong with the Uh, this plan of converting your LLC to a C-Corp to take advantage of the QSBS is that your investors might be really unhappy because the value of the company at conversion counts towards the 50 million asset limit. The founders are effectively using up some or all of this limit. So there may be less ability to provide the QSBS benefit to other investors. In order to minimize the loss of QSBS benefit for investors, it's important to consider whether the extra basis can be gradually reduced through depreciation or amortization over time, but that's a topic for a tax professional as well. Another example, when service providers might be unmotivated. So once you convert to a C-corporation with the high valuation for purposes of maximizing the QSBS benefit, the company's valuation for purposes of granting employee equity will likely be higher as well. They will have to pay more for stock or stock options. And that's that's not good, good that's not good news for them. And the last but not least, Congress might get rid of the QSBS. You've been planning how to you know, start your startup as an OLC, then maximize the QSBS benefit. But in 2021, Congress proposed to reduce the 100% gain exclusion to 50%, but it didn't pass, um, thankfully. Who knows what happens in the next five years? Overall, to summarize, starting as an LLC has its downsides. LLCs are less common and may be less understood by investors and employees. Additionally, setting up and managing an LLC can be more expensive from both legal and tax perspectives. For example, the company is required to provide uh, key ones to members and treat members as self-employed. Given the complexities involved, it's advisable to seek assistance from an experienced accounting firm to ensure the conversion is executed properly, which can be a significant uh, expense. Another question founders frequently ask me, Christina, do investors really care about my startup being a C-corporation? And the honest truth is yes, they care a great deal and generally expect you to register your startup as a C-corporation for three reasons. First is QSBS treatment, we just discussed it. A C-corporation is essential for the QSBS treatment, which can save a lot of money on taxes. If your investors qualify, it allows them to take $10 million or 10 times the investment free of capital gains tax. This significant sum makes investors pay very close attention to the QSBS, and they frequently require the company even covenant in the investment documents that it won't jeopardize the QSBS qualification. Second reason is QSBS rollover. So Section 1045 allows investors who have held QSBS for more than six months to defer recognizing gains from the sale of the stock if they reinvest the proceeds in another QSBS within 60 days from the sale. 
By doing so, they defer capital gains taxes until the, new, the newly acquired QSBS is sold. So essentially, this rollover provision offers a tax deferral opportunity for investors who wish to continue investing in startups without immediately recognizing and paying taxes on their gains. And the last but not least is UBTI rules. You may already know that venture funds have their own investors, often referred to as limited partners or LPs. Many of these LPs are tax-exempt entities such as pension funds or endowments. Another factor that influences why venture investors generally prefer investing in C-corporations over LLCs is the unrelated business taxable income, UBTI rules, imposed by the IRS. So UBTI can be generated from an LLC's business operations, and tax-exempt entities might have to pay taxes on this income. Conversely, C-corporations do not generate UBTI for their investors. These are the reasons why venture funds will push you to convert an LLC into a C-corp before investing. QSBS treatment, QSBS rollover, and UBTI rules. In a nutshell, in 99% of cases, I recommend registering your startup as a Delaware C-Corp. If you are planning on raising venture capital and issuing equity awards to service providers, I recommend opting for a standard Delaware C-Corp. In my many years of legal experience, I've seen only a few startups formed as LLCs. And here are the examples. First is when a startup is not a startup, it's just a small business. The fact that an LLC is not subject to double taxation may make it a more attractive entity choice for a small business, especially if the founder knows the small business won't grant many service providers equity or have a lot of investors or any institutional investors. Second example is when the QSBS doesn't apply and founders want to distribute profits to themselves. Typically, high-growth startups don't make distributions as they reinvest cash into their growth. However, there are rare exceptions. For instance, I've seen a Web3 startup that generated more than $100 million from the outset, and the founders wanted to distribute some of that cash to themselves. Since they already exceeded the $50 million threshold, the QSBS exemption no longer applies. This situation is extremely rare, as you can imagine, and investors generally resist it. Unless you are highly sought after startup generating substantial revenue right from the start, you would need to convert your LLC into a C-Corp if you later decide to seek venture capital. This conversion can be a complicated and costly process requiring the involvement of lawyers and tax professionals. Before making a final call, let's consider a few disadvantages uh, when registering your startup as an LLC. Four things. First is the process of issuing equity awards becomes complicated. In an LLC, you would need to issue membership units to individuals, which would be taxed as ordinary income rather than capital gains. Second disadvantage is foreign investors will be required to file a U.S. tax return. An LLC is taxed as a partnership, meaning the tax liability is passed on to its members. Consequently, your investors could potentially establish a permanent presence in the U.S., necessitating any foreign investors to file a U.S. tax return, a situation many investors, quite frankly, find undesirable. 
third is legal fees. They can increase significantly. If you pursue equity financing as an LLC, you can expect legal fees to be much higher than those for a standard C-Corp. In a regular equity financing, I typically use standard and VCA documents. However, when I represented an investor investing in a high-profile startup that generated over $100 million in revenue from the start and was formed as an LLC, all those NVCA documents, by the way, NVCA, National Venture Capital Association, for those who don't know. So those NVCA documents had to be incorporated into, into two documents, operating agreement and subscription agreement. This necessitated almost drafting them from scratch and meticulously reading every word. And you don't want a lawyer charging a thousand or more an hour to scrutinize every single word of your 80-page investment documents. It was the most complex, complex and expensive equity round I've managed. Good for lawyers, we made a substantial profit, but not so advantageous for business folks like yourself. And last but not least, accounting fees are also likely to rise. Annual tax compliance and accounting service fees will generally be higher in an LLC. Typically, you can anticipate an additional 10K per year. Last but not least, how do you set up a Delaware C Corporation? You have several options. If you're a small business and need boilerplate documents without customization, Stripe Atlas priced at around $500 could be a suitable solution. If you're a startup but not planning to raise venture funds immediately, Clerky priced at around $1K might be an option. Alternatively, you can hire a law firm known for representing startups such as Cooley, Wilson Sonsenio or Oric. Feel free to contact me if you need an introduction. A middle ground approach is my incorporation package. This package provides everything an early stage startup requires. Registration, equity issuances and equity incentive plan, templates for hiring employees and consultants, setting up the data room and consultation with me. So in a summary, uh, do-it-yourself options, they're cheaper, but they're boilerplate and you have to do everything on your own. Law firms, they will do everything for you perfectly, but they're on a little bit pricier side. And middle ground approach is my incorporation package that has everything that you need from the beginning to raising your first investor money. In conclusion, a Delaware C Corporation is an outstanding choice for those planning to launch a startup. It provides numerous benefits not found in other structures, including tax advantages and the facilitation of capital raising. Disclaimer, please note that the information provided here is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal or tax advice. It's essential to consult with a tax advisor or legal expert to understand the specific details and applicability of this information to your situation. Good luck! Thank you.